I want to share with you this morning is not just the hope that we have in Christ, but how we should live differently because of it. That said, I'm going to invite you to power on your Bible or turn on the one in the book rack to Hebrews chapter 11 as we continue a three-week teaching series called Unshakable Kingdom. It's really a, a look at the church both now and eternally in heaven, and we're going chapter by chapter. Last week was Hebrews 10. This week is Hebrews 11. Next week, Pastor Shah is going to be back, and he's been, it's been since Father's Day since he's been here at Carmel, so uh, do not miss next weekend as we close the teaching series. But, uh, I, you know, do we have any uh, students in here right now? Any students? Are you, are you awake this morning? Oh, it's like two people. Yes, mom made me come. Any students? Come on, Nick and boys. How you doing over there? Are you awake this morning? Any students out there? No. Okay. Well, I want to tell you, I, I want to talk to the students for a moment because tonight at six o'clock, it is going to get crazy and if your mom drug you here, she's not going to have to drag you tonight, but as I'm telling you, you're going to have a lot of fun. It's a blast. I know my son's going to be there and have a good time. And I, I talk about that because do we have any babysitters in the room that have ever watched young children? Oh, man. Just looking for who the free babysitters for our family are, if you could raise those hands higher. Um, you know, we have a uh, six-year-old son. We're almost out of the stage where they have all the energy and everything, but our youngest is is six, and his name's Jet, and I talk about him a lot because he takes a lot of my energy. And uh, just yesterday, I'm not making this up, uh, he came to Lisa and I, and it was a Saturday afternoon, we're relaxing on the couch, Lisa had been traveling, and he comes up, he's like, Mom, Dad, I'm ready. We're like, what do you mean you're ready? He's like, I've hidden things upstairs and in the middle of the house, and in the basement, I've hidden some things. Okay, well, what did you hide? Well, I hid some Nerf guns. Not real guns, Dad. Nerf guns. And I've hidden ammo in a backpack. And I want you and Mom to find it. And whoever finds it first is the winner. And you ever, like, wonder, like, what is going on in my son's head? Like, I seriously was like, what's going on? And then I realized, oh, he wants us to find this Nerf guns, and the first to find it is the winner. And then it didn't end there. He goes, and then it's not just the winner of who finds it first. Then you have to go to the basement and get the ammo in the backpack. And then here's where it comes. You're going to fight each other. <laughs> and I realized the whole time my son had spent the last half an hour preparing an all-out Nerf war between his mom and his dad. And so we hopped up off the couch, we ran all over, we found them all, and then we ran down into the basement, and I totally destroyed her. <laughs> it was amazing. No, that's actually not true. She shot me in the face multiple times. I was concerned I would have marks this morning. But I was thinking about, like, what is wrong with my, with my son? Like, some, sometimes he'll just, like, put blankets on his, the floor of his room and get us to come up there, and he's like, we're going to have a dance party, Dad. I'm always trying to figure out what is going on up here. Why is he making the life choices that he is making? And I was thinking about Hebrews chapter 11 that we're about to study. And this passage, okay, it's a letter that was circulated to the Jewish Christians during that day around 90 AD. It was one of the later uh, letters in the New Testament that actually gets into the Bible most of the Bible had already been written. And this letter that circulated last week, it talked about making Jesus the firm foundation of our faith to connect with him. We talked about through spiritual disciplines to pray and to hear from him, to study his word. And then this week, 
I want to talk then about the choices we make and how we live. And sometimes I wonder if our Father in heaven is looking down on us going, what is in their head? I mean, he knows, right? That's the difference. He, he actually knows what's in our head. But just the choices that we make of how we live, I want to speak to how to live by faith. You see, Hebrews 11 is all about that the Israelites did not understand what God was up to. And he shows them through 40 verses how you thought this was about this, but because you lived by faith, I provided and took care of you. I took care of your fears and your worries and your hurts and your hang-ups. And so this morning as we study this, I believe it has a lot to say about how to have unshakable faith in our culture today. You ready to study God's word, church? Come on, verse one. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is having hope, uh, confidence in what we hope for, in salvation in Jesus Christ alone, and an assurance about what we do not see. That's the, where the rubber meets the road. Next 39 verses really comes down to that as humans, we struggle with that. Because we worry, what if the Lord doesn't do what I want? What if he doesn't show up how I want? What if my life doesn't turn out the way that I want? Verse 2, this is what the ancients were commended for. The word ancients, by the way, is the word presbyters and the leaders, the ancients. And then uh, commended is the Greek word, the root of its martyr, to lose your life, sacrifice as a witness for Christ. And the way that they were commended for was, verse 3, by faith. You're going to hear, in, uh, for Christians today, we talk about Hebrews 11 as the hall of faith. Anybody uh, watch the Olympics that's coming on? I don't know whether the USA basketball team won this morning, so don't tell me. I'm going to watch it. But I, I love following sports, and, you know, if you make it into the Hall of Fame in a sport, you're a legend forever because of all of your accolades and accomplishments. And the Hall of Faith for Christians in Hebrews chapter 11, God's people, the way that you made it in was not because of your accomplishments and accolades. You're going to hear stories of Noah, for instance, building a prehistoric Titanic and stuffing two of every animal on it. We called it an ark. It's an incredible accomplishment. But he is not in the hall of faith because he built a boat. He's in the hall of faith because he lived by faith and trusted the Lord and just was obedient to what he asked of him. And it happened to be that the Lord asked him to build a boat. Abraham was asked to sacrifice his only son. Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, all these Hebrew people will be asked things and they will be faithful to do what the Lord has asked them. And some of them, when we get to verse 35b to the end of verse 40 of chapter 11, you're going to see that you don't even know their names. That they were faithful and trusted what the Lord asked of them and they didn't get any reward for it and they didn't even get to see their accolades this side of heaven. That's how you get into the hall of faith. Not by your great accomplishments. See, I'm going to read this next part quickly then. Verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was formed by God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel, it starts working through the Israelite history, brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he's dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from his, this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. Enoch was caught up to heaven. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Verse 6, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. 
you could live the most moral life and it would not be pleasing to God if you didn't live by faith that Jesus Christ was crucified and rose from the grave and that you will spend eternity in heaven and you're gonna live because the Spirit of God is in you working through you. I had a friend of mine who became a Christian a few years ago and he was talking to me about, it was about a month ago actually, and he said, hey, you know, I've become a Christian, but I've realized I really like the moralistic living. The kind of standard of life for me, it fit me. I, I like to live that way. It gave me some structure. But to believe that Jesus was crucified, rose from the grave, that I'm going to spend eternity in heaven and my loved ones who know Jesus will go there, that the Spirit of God is with me and could use me in this lifetime, like I'm struggling with the faith part of this. The Bible teaches it's impossible to please God without faith. And now, if you're here and you have doubts and fears, welcome to the club. It's a part of the human condition. Do not worry if you are having questions. That's okay. It's what we do with those doubts, fears, and questions that matter. By faith, do we go to the Lord and seek wise Christian counsel? These people that see God do all of these incredible works, it was always by faith and trusting that the Lord knows better than I do. Remember last week that the I would rather go with a captain who knows where the fish are than go and fish all day with me as the captain because I'm going to catch a whole lot more fish with a captain who knows where the fish are. Who's the captain of your boat trusting him in that area of your life? Verse 7, by faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is keeping with faith. By the way, the word over and over again here, faith it comes from the Greek word pisteo. There are different forms of it used here, but pisteo in Koine Greek, it means to believe, to have faith, or to trust. So the idea that I could believe cognitively in my head that Jesus rose from the grave, but not trust him in my romantic life, in my marriage, with my finances, not trust him in raising my children or trust him with the questions I, I have, that is foreign to the word when in John 3.16 it says, For whoever believes, pisteos, him shall inherit eternal life. That comes because we actually trust him in all aspects of our life. Now look, I'm not saying you don't have salvation because you had questions, okay? I'm saying that part of learning to have faith is trusting him when you don't understand stuff. And that's what these people in this list of names had going. And I don't know about you, but I want to get to heaven one day and have some stories to tell of because I was just obedient and had faith in what he was asking me to do, he got to accomplish some incredible things. If you want a story, I believe you have to live by faith today, just like the people in Hebrews chapter 11. Will you pray with me? God, we're going to get into some tough stuff. There are reasons we don't live by faith. We have concerns, and sometimes we're just tired and exhausted and feel like we just got to get through the day, God. And so trusting you, if it might mean more sacrifice in our life, isn't something that we're longing for. God, you have really used this morning. I pray right now for the person in the room who needs to hear from you, that you would speak to our souls. I repent of anything that is not of you, God. Use your scriptures to speak to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. You know, I was talking about yesterday... Uh, we've had kind of a, a fun weekend in the Hoosman household. My wife got to go with our oldest son, uh, Jake, who's 12, to a tennis tournament. He did well, and, and we were kind of celebrating that, and it was a fun morning. And then uh, in the afternoon, I was reminded of the dichotomy of life, how sometimes you can be going through really good seasons, and then you can also be going through hard stuff at the same time. 
And I went to a, a funeral memorial service for a young woman who was 35 years old who had been faithfully serving here at Mercy Road uh, Kids Junior in, um, here in Carmel and then went with uh, the team to plant the church in the Northeast Church in Fortville. She'd been faithfully serving the Lord here for years. Her name is Jerry Bradley. Uh, she had a heart attack four months ago and was unresponsive and recently passed away. And she's left behind by her, as a single mom, left behind her 11-year-old daughter, Lizzie. I got a, a picture of them. Um, maybe a few of you might recognize Jerry. She was somebody that faithfully served over and over again the young kids in our church. As a single mom, giving up her time early on a Sunday morning to come in and serve other people. Getting no accolades because of it. You may not have known her name, but faithfully serving the Lord. And as I was thinking about this hall of faith and how you really don't get in because you did something great, but because you simply were faithful to the, what the Lord had said, I was reminded of when the disciples come to Jesus and they're talking about how they could be great with their life. And they're like, who's going to be the greatest? And even in one of the gospels, their moms get involved, which is really fun. But they're like, who's going to sit at your right hand when we get to heaven, Jesus? And he's like, I, it's not for me to decide. And then he tells them, but I will say this, it's not going to be who you think because the one who actually is greatest in heaven is the one who is least here on earth and serving first with their life. Matthew 20, 26 to 28, Jesus says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus in another place says, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Jerry had the servant heart. that got no reward this side of heaven. She just faithfully wanted to serve what the Lord had asked her to do. I was sitting at that service going, we're going to get to heaven. And we're going to think this anointed preacher or person is someone who God really used, and we're going to get to heaven and be reminded that the first shall be last and the last shall be first, and we're going to be waiting behind in line behind the Jerry Bradleys in the Christian church. And that when you get to the end of Hebrews 11, you may know some of these names, but there are going to be other names that you don't even know. And so we got to stop thinking that when we're talking about living by faith, it means that you're going to get people to pat you on the back this side of heaven. That is not the goal of this morning. God is reminding the Hebrew Christians in this passage that he always took care of them no matter what. Our role is simply to be obedient what he is asking us to do. So I want to tell you, if you want to leave a legacy of faith, because that's what Jerry did. Her, everybody that got up and spoke yesterday, they talked about her faith and the way she was there for her family members. She made time for friends. That's the type of life that Jesus says is the greatest. So if you're taking notes and you want to leave a legacy of faith with your life, number one, live for heaven. Live for heaven. And while this passage is really about reminding them how God provided for them and was always there for them, I want to show you what's unique about Hebrews 11 is the emphasis it has on living for heaven. Look at verse 8 with me. So it's going through this lineage of the Israelites, and it says, By faith, Abe, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. <laughs> I love that. That's what it feels like sometimes when you follow God. Like, I don't, I don't really understand. You told me to go to this land where I don't know any people, and I don't know where I'm going. And, and you know what he did? He just went and did it. And then God, it'll go on and it'll say that 
he asks him to go and sacrifice his only son, Isaac. And rather than being frustrated or angry or telling him, no, Lord, he said, okay, I'm going to do it because I know you're a good God. And if he could bring him back, he would. And he went and did it. And instead, God provides a ram for the sacrifice. And Isaac would become the son that will lead to all the descendants as many as the sand on the seashore. It will mention Sarah in this passage. Sarah was the wife who was 100 years old of Abraham and wasn't supposed to have any children, and yet God made her descendants as many as the sand on the seashore where there seems to be no way God can make a way. But if we're living for here and now, when, we, when she couldn't get pregnant, she probably would have turned and cursed God rather than going, okay, God, I have faith. I trust in your best uh, working in my life. Use me no matter what. See, as it goes down there in verse 9, by faith he made his home and promised land like a stranger and a foreigner. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were his heirs. Verse 10, for he was looking for a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Pause there for a second. Architect and builder is God. It's talking about the promised land in Jerusalem. But we'll see what's unique about Hebrews 11, and it demonstrates it's not just talking about the promised land physically, but our internal promised land in heaven. The Bible teaches there will be a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem and the city of God where the foundations are laid by God. There will be no more sin or wrongdoing, pain or suffering, no more tears. All of it, the old order will have passed away. If you skip down, it talked about Sarah there and her living by faith. I want you to look down to verse 13. It says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. They didn't understand what God was up to. They just obediently trusted him with their decisions, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Foreigners and strangers on earth. I love that because the idea is that we're here on earth, and it's a temporary position. We're not here forever. Our home as Christians, our citizenship is where? In heaven, that we live for heaven. That I used to have, when I was in seminary, I had this uh, roommate named... Austin Eggers, and uh, Austin was from Boone, North Carolina, and uh, I loved Austin to death, and he, uh, he, he came to Southern California to go to seminary, and he drove this pickup truck that literally would only go like 50 miles an hour. It was this old Chevy S10, and he would drive it on the freeways of Los Angeles. People would get so angry at him. He would go super slow, and he'd be driving along like he was on some Boone country road, and he would inevitably cut people off. People would get mad, wave some uh, gestures at him. They would yell at him, and he would, here's what he would do. He'd go, it's okay, not from here, and he'd keep driving. And I always thought about that. And some of us, we're living so much for the here and now instead of realizing that our citizenship is in heaven. And some of us need to go when the umpire at the third grade baseball game made the wrong uh, decision. I don't need to yell and scream and try and change their mind because I'm not living here. I'm actually a citizen of heaven. This is a blip on a map, not from here. It's okay, ump. I don't care today. When our coworker voted for that person, I cannot believe they voted for him. And it was like, what is wrong with that? They cannot be a Christian. There is no way. Rather than going, oh, what's going to happen in the next four years when you're thinking about heaven, you go, oh, it's okay, not from here. I'm just going to love people the way Jesus loves people. Now, look, all that stuff is, I'm not saying that those things aren't important. I get it. Well, maybe the baseball game, come on. But like, when we actually live our faith out, we're going to live for heaven. Look what it, look at, skip down to verse 16. It says, instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. 
that this passage is differentiating itself from other places in the New Testament to emphasize the eternal nature, the image of the promised land that God gave us in the Old Testament was actually pointing to our eternal kingdom, that unshakable kingdom in heaven one day. And we should live for that. It's similar, by the way, to Stephen's telling in Acts 7, 2 through 6. Uh, scholars kind of agree this is kind of a retelling of the Israelite history that Stephen did in the book of Acts. It was written a couple of decades earlier than this passage, except the promised land is not the nation of Israel, but the eternal city of God. So the question I want to ask you is, because, you know, Francis Chan used to have this thing, some of you may have heard of him, about when we're living for heaven, that we're living for the line and not the dot. You know what I mean what I'm saying? Or, you know, what, I, you know what I mean. Anyway, the line, if, it, if this is eternity from here to the back of the room, that I'm going, that's eternity from here to the back of the room, that this life, let's say you live to be 100 years old. This 100 years, it's like this little tiny dot on this huge line because eternity is a really long time. So I don't know about you, but I want to live for the line and not for the dot. The question I want to ask you, are you living thing, for things that will matter in a hundred years? I've, been, I've mentioned that question last week, but it's really been sitting with me as I look through these two chapters in Hebrews. Are we living for things that are going to matter a hundred years from now? Are we going to have 800 conversations with our family about the upcoming cult season? Because it's going to be a great season. Carson Wentz is going to win it all for us. We're going to go. We're going to lots of games, playoffs, Super Bowls coming, baby. And I'm going to have lots of conversations. But what if I took one of the 800 conversations and actually talked to my family members about Jesus? I'm, that's, I'm just talking. I'm being convicted about the things that I prioritize when I'm living for the dot instead of the line. That I'm not going to care about in a hundred years. If you want to leave a legacy of faith, you got to live for heaven. Number two, you got to live for the next generation. The big thing in Hebrews 11 is that you get verses upon verses upon verses of the retelling of the Jewish history, how each of these people lived by faith. Why did they live by faith? Well, one, because God is real and he still communicates and talks to us. But two, because they saw their, their mom and their dad and their grandparents, the people in their lives showed them how to live by faith, generation after generation. I'm going to move quickly. Look at verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. Doesn't that seem like that's going to ruin your family? <laughs> Not like provide for your family? But that's the, the unshakable kingdom understands that, that God is in control. We're like a little uh, amoeba in comparison to God, like an ant. Like we, we can't even fathom his ways. He is so big and so powerful. He created the universe in six days, took the seventh day off because he could. He knows every hair on your head. He knitted you together in your mother's womb and says, do you think that he can handle? So when, when Abraham hears from God that he needs to sacrifice his son, he's like, well, I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm not the captain of my boat. He is. So I'm going to sort of trust him with these decisions. And you know what? It led to actually passing on living by faith to his children. Verse 18, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, then, Isaac blessed uh, Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. And then by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of his sons 
and worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff. And then by faith, his son Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. Passed on, they lived by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. Pisteo, trusting and believing and having faith in the Lord. It will lead to hundreds of years later, it will be passed down to Moses. And Moses will have to believe that God's actually going to lead them across the Red Sea when Pharaoh and his army is coming to kill and destroy them. He's going to believe that he's going to provide for them in the wilderness for 40 years when they didn't even have anything to take care of themselves. He's going to provide for them with manna on the ground and all these other miraculous things that the Lord will do. But they only happen because they lived by faith. In fact, if you look down to verse 28, by faith... He kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Here's where my mind goes. I can't speak to you. But the sinful nature in my mind goes, I've lived by faith before. And God has taken care of me, but in the process, I had to submit and sacrifice, and sometimes that gets tiring. So I'm not sure I want to do it again, because if I live by faith, what if my kids don't get the upbringing that I want? I pictured in my head? Like if I was controlling my life, the desire I want, what if... Uh, my family doesn't look the exact same way that I wanted to. What if the career for some of you looked different than you thought? What if he tells you to move and to go somewhere else, to go be a part of a church plant? See, we've been planting dozens of churches for a number of years now, and now these three Mercy Road churches, which six students got baptized last weekend at Northwest, uh, people are coming to Christ at the other locations and Northeast is blowing up, and, and Anderson is coming, by the way. If you ha- want more information, you can get the emails at mercyroadanderson.com. Go there, and you can fill out the email form. I haven't sent one out in a little bit because we're waiting to gain uh, possession of the building in August or September. We've really been working out how the renovation is going to work because there's a lot of cool stuff happening there in addition to the church. And then we're hoping to find that lead pastor by the end of the year, start having launch team meetings, and the earliest launch the church there in August of 2022. And then we need your prayer for all that stuff because it won't matter if it's not by faith. We need the Lord in it. We don't just need to go through a way of living. We need to actually see the Lord use us and count on him during this time. But I share that with you because I was kind of processing this about why we're afraid to live by faith. We think that if I do it, I'm going to pass on bad stuff to my kids. I want to tell you, you're passing on bad stuff to your kids already. And to those around you, you're like, I don't have children. We all are influencing the next generation. If we're going to live from them, what they need to see is us living for the Lord. I want to show you just a really quick video. It's only 30 seconds long. I think I showed this a couple years ago, but I thought I was passing on the sport of golf to my uh, my then three-year-old son, Jet. Turns out I've also been passing on some other things to him. Let's just watch this really quick. It's 30 seconds long, and I want to talk about living for the next generation. if you can hear it, but he actually says, do it, and then he throws the club down. 
He didn't just figure that out on his own. We know that he had to learn that somewhere, didn't he? It wasn't from me. It couldn't have been from me. But we pass on things to the next generation whether we want to think so or not. Some of us that we don't even have kids or grandkids, we're passing on things all the time. And when we think that the next generation has just got problems and they're lazy and they're like, I want to tell you that what biblically we have seen for 2,000 years and the 1,500 years before that is that when generations pass on the Lord to the next generation, that that is how the gospel continues to spread today. The greatest way we can do that is to live for the next generation. I wanted to point that out in this passage because we think that if we're going to be in the hall of faith, we've got to do these great things. But what if you just focused on what you're passing on to people around you? How you are living for the next generation or not? Because when we live by faith, people are going to see that the number one thing they need, the one, number one thing the next generation needs from us is not just providing for them, not just in education. That's where my mind goes. i got to give them this. What if the Lord calls us to do something and we'd have to move and the kids' school and all this, right? Or like, what's it going to do to our finances? What's it going to do? The, and we come up with all these reasons not to live by faith in the Lord. And what I want to tell you is the number one thing your kids, grandkids, next generation needs is to see you live by faith. Because if they don't see you trust the Lord, they'll never do it. And that requires the third part that I don't like to live without control of our lives, to relinquish control over to the lordship of Jesus. And I want to show you why that's hard. In these closing eight verses, verse 32, and what more shall I say, the writer says, I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of the lions. I believe today that a million people will come to know the Lord by the year 2050 because of the wake of impact that Multiply Indiana and beyond will have of people living by faith. We will see the great things we read in the New Testament and the Old Testament. They are happening today. It didn't just happen 2,000 years ago. There are people constantly coming to know the Lord and being baptized today. But I want to tell you, I don't know your role in that. But look at verse 35. This is when it kind of changes. Because you know Noah. You know Abraham. You know Isaac and Jacob. But verse 35, women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others, and we don't know their names, who didn't get the great accolades, who don't know their names. They're not the Billy Grahams of a generation. They lived faithfully, like Jerry Bradley, sacrificing in the ways that the Lord asked of them. And in, in the case throughout human history, some of them were tortured, verse 35, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet not one of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. They received nothing in return. They gave up everything, even when they didn't like the preaching that week. Even when they 
They didn't appreciate the one song that they sang together or that one moment or somebody didn't say hi to them in the lobby. Like they still, they gave up everything for the cause of Christ because they have relinquished control and say, I live in a sinful world and my job is simply just to live for the one who knows what he's doing. They didn't know he was going to provide. They didn't know he was going to use them to to change the course of human history. The two billion people would claim faith in Jesus today. They didn't know all this. They just simply were obedient to live by faith in what the Lord put in front of them in their lives. I don't know what that is in your life. I always compare it to sometimes uh, I was sledding one time. I was wanting to show off, and I decided to run as fast as I could, go Superman style, went flying down the hill. I always tell my wife I was going super fast. I don't know how fast I was sledding down that hill, but it was really fast. It was at least a million miles an hour. They didn't clock me, but I think that's what it was. And I was going down the hill. I get to the bottom. I see a concrete wall. Didn't know that was there. Ran full speed into it, flipped over it, landed in the concrete ravine, bleeding everywhere, had to go to the ER. Wondering, Lord, what in the world are you up to? Why are you doing this? Well, how come nobody else hit the wall? How come I was the only one to hit the wall? Why, could you imagine being the last five verses of Hebrews 11? Why did I get Abraham's story? Noah's story. I had to give up everything, live in destitute in caves. Some were sought to. Did you read those passages? Because when we follow the Lord, the hard part is we don't get to determine the outcome. We only get to determine our faithfulness. So we have to relinquish control. So when we don't understand what God is saying to us through Scripture about how to lead a romantic life and why we should wait for sex until marriage, when we don't understand what God has to say in Scripture about sexuality, when we don't understand why God would want us to relinquish control of our finances, when we don't understand why God would want us to give up our time faithfully as a single mom to come and serve children on the weekend when we're tired already, when we don't understand what He's asking for us, but we're obedient anyway, regardless of the outcome, what God is looking for is our faithfulness. That's how we choose to live or not to live. And my goal this morning was simply for me and each of us in this room that we might finally admit we need to give up complete control of every aspect of our life because some of us, we have not been living for the line. We've been living for the dot and what I can get and how I can get it and how I can earn it because that's what culture tells us. You've got to grind it. You've got to work it out. And what is yours is yours. And like the Lord's vision for our life is very different. It doesn't matter because in a 100 years, all we'll care about is what we did for eternity and not what we did for this little blip on the map that is our lives today. And some of us are going to get to heaven and we're going to have salvation and we're going to have the most crummy stories in the whole world. We're going to sit around and talk about, well, my grandma told me about Jesus. And then I sat in a chair once a week, sometimes when I wasn't on vacation. I was sat in a chair, and then I was here. And others are going to have stories where they faithfully served the Lord and saw him use their lives to change the course of human history. And I'm just going to say, I think some of you were called to go and plant a church. I think some of you were called to get off your keister and start an outpost or a huddle and pass on your faith. Some of you are called to to mentor a group of students and pour into them. Some of you are are called to to watch over a rooted group and pray for them. Some of you are called to just on your own, just mentor some young men and women who are struggling in, in marriage and raising children and all of those things. But none of that stuff will happen if we don't trust the Lord enough to have faith, to take the action, to live for heaven and the next generation and to give up control of our lives. So I don't know about you, but I want to do that this morning. Will you pray with me? God, I pray for many of us as Christians right now. Many of us as Christians, 
we will love to follow you. We want to go to heaven when we die. We don't want to go to hell, but we do not want to give you control. I repent of that. Do this with me. We, we repent of that way of thinking. You have always provided, always cared for. And our job is just faithfulness. So maybe the Lord has been speaking to you. Right now, I believe somebody in the room, he has been speaking to you and you have not been listening. You have not chosen to be faithful, but to rather to have control. Repent of that with me. God, I confess that I've been doing this on my own, trying to captain the boat myself. I'm not gonna do that anymore. I relinquish control of my life. Some of you here in the room, you've known about God your whole life, but you've never surrendered every aspect, all control of your life to the Lordship of Jesus. I want to invite you to do that right now silently as I pray it out loud. If you want to give everything up to the Lord, I invite you to pray this. God, I confess that I've been doing it on my own, and I repent of that, and I surrender my entire life to your Lordship, Jesus. Use me. Help me to live for the lion and not for the dot. I give you everything. We love you, Jesus. We give you our lives. We give you this church. We give you the move of you happening in our lifetime. Use us, Lord Jesus. We pray this in your name. And everybody said, amen.